1: Welcome to the Total Soccer Show Weekend Review. My name is Ryan Bailey and joining me on this intrepid look back over the events of the last few days is a man who doesn't count himself among Roman Abramovich's
2: 14 managerial casualties, Taylor Rockwell. Taylor, how are you, sir? Yet. That is my answer to that. Yet. Give it time. We'll see how things go with Thomas Tuchel. And if that doesn't work, I feel like I could be on the shortlist. You never know. I think it's pronounced Nyet in Russian, actually, Ah. Taylor, but um, I'll I'll let you
1: go with that one. Uh, Don't let Roman hear you say that. And joining us from the UK is a man who's always frank, which disqualifies him from any meaningful position at Chelsea at the moment. It's Graeme Rudman. Graeme, how are you? I'm good, Ryan. How are you? Very good indeed. All the better for having you join us, Graham, and indeed you too, Taylor. So I'm guessing you're going to infer the first piece of news we're going to get to on the weekend review. We are going to talk about some big games this weekend. We've got Manchester United against Liverpool. Some actual FA Cup magic happened there. We've got Milan getting crushed by hipster opposition in Serie A. Bayern Munich, they won the league this weekend, by the way, in case you all didn't know. And it was Real Madrid's best performance of the season, so says us. But before we get to that, gents, Frank Lampard. No longer at Chelsea Football Club. Uh, the 14th managerial casualty of Roman's reign since 2003. As I mentioned there, he's been relieved of his role with Chelsea in ninth position. Uh, the most recent game, that 3-1 win in the FA Cup over Luton. Beating Luton does not save your job at Chelsea. So there you have it. Uh, we're hearing that Thomas Tuchel, uh, he may have already come in and been confirmed by the time you listen to this podcast. But he's the man being lined up. Gentlemen, what do we think about this? I'll go to you first, Graham. Um, do you think that Frank Lampard can get another Premier League job again? And maybe, maybe I'll rephrase that. Do you think he can get another job soon in the
3: Premier League? I just think he's he's destined to be England under twenty one manager within the next year. That just seems like a, a you know on his Wikipedia page, Derby County, Chelsea, England under twenty one. That seems like a, a natural ca- career path for. For Frank Lampard, I, I, in terms of his uh, what he, what he does next, I really don't know. And, and to be serious, I I, I, I mean, I guess because he's Frank Lampard, and he did an okay job in his first season, he he might get another Premier League job. Um, but I think this season has been quite damaging for him. I think I said to you previously, Ryan, that I, I felt the the summer signings was 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 one of the worst things that could have happened to Frank Lampard if he'd been allowed mm. to do that project where. He was building gradually and this season really should have been quite similar to Manchester United this season where the expectation was just to be a little bit closer to City and Liverpool at the top of the Premier League and instead £200 million of of talent arrived at Stamford Bridge and unrealistic expectations were placed in him. All of a sudden people wanted Chelsea to win the title and I just feel like that started a spiral that, that ended uh, today with him uh, losing his job. Very sad. Now, Taylor, last weekend on the weekend review, I should say, we talked about Inter
1: against Juventus. I believe I pitched a question to both of you asking uh, who's going to keep their job the longest, Andrea Pirlo or Frank Lampard. I believe, if memory serves me correct, you and I both said it would be uh, Frank Lampard who kept his job longer.
2: And I believe you and I have been proven wrong on this. Is my memory correct there? It is not correct. It was you and Graham, who I believe said it would be Frank Lampard lasting longer than Pirlo because I came Uh, in ready to celebrate my correct prognostication that Andre Pirlo, as far (laughs) as I know at time of recording, still manager of of Juve. You never know. Things could change. But uh, yeah, Frank Lampard no longer at Chelsea. And I, yeah, I don't think I'm, I'm particularly surprised not just because of the results, but because it's Chelsea under Roman Abramovich. This is kind of what they do when they get frustrated with their manager, even if they won the champions league like five months before that. Uh, So I think it's, not the most surprising thing. I also think that Phil Neville is very happy he's already been hired by Miami because that feels like a vacancy that Frank Lampard could have filled. Yeah. Well, I was thinking maybe Lampard needs a teammate to go and buy an
1: MLS franchise so he could get another job. Is that, is that <laughs> the reason for him? I mean, Drogba's in there, right? Drogba yeah, is Phoenix. Drogba, like, yeah. He's got a stake. <laughs> it's it's a, it's a weird situation is it because you know we, we we gave Lampard a lot of credit for that first season where you know he had a transfer ban he had his best player leave and still did pretty well all things considered kind of had a a free hit with that season but then that as Gray mentioned that 200 million pounds worth of signings has not done him any favors he hasn't really found he never really found his right team here and I, I think the, the the reason why it's not a surprise for me, gents, is that uh, he didn't get this job on merit. He didn't get this job because he'd been a great manager elsewhere for 15 years. Um, you know, like many of other uh, many other of Chelsea's managers in recent years, he didn't he didn't get there because of his his resume. Uh, he got there because his name is Frank Lampard. And I'll, I'll, I'll read you. I, I was texting someone who actually works at Chelsea He's going to remain anonymous for the reasons which may unfold shortly. But I'll read you a message that they uh, sent me this morning. Uh, He said, I think when Lampard was appointed, there was a clear message. They wanted to do things differently. They've been through a host of so-called world-class managers and they wanted to have focus on rebuilding the club with the culture at the heart of it. So Petacek came in as sporting director, Lampard as manager, with a backroom team that was Chelsea to its core. So there's a pathway being forged for the academy and they were playing the long game. And then the first sign of trouble, they rip it up and start it all again. So i kind of I understand what what my anonymous source is saying there he wanted it to be you know that they're building Chelsea and they're giving him several years to ha- to have this plan to unfold and to become a different kind of team to do things differently, but it just seems that Abramovich has reverted to type and fired someone when they are in peril of not qualifying for the champions league taylor where do you, where do you land on this do you think do you think they've not given him enough
2: time um i no, I mean I think he it's always interesting when a club like clearly were hoping he would lose the game this weekend like I, I think they were maybe fingers crossed that the FA Cup game wouldn't go as well and I guess they're blaming Timo Verner's penalty miss on him uh but like I, I think it it hasn't been going very well I think to Graham's point the signings seemed like they were always going to be an issue for how he could get them to kind of fit in and even like Thiago Silva a little bit of like is he going to work is this the best idea and so if you don't have that sort of Maybe that managerial experience of how to deal with those like big, big names. I'm sure he knows how to deal with it as a player, less so as a manager. So I do think it makes sense. I just also think for... Where Chelsea are in the table, I guess it makes sense still, but like it, it does seem odd to me because it did feel like he would be given at least a little bit more time, especially given the current like economic situation, and we don't know how much they want to spend on players, they want to spend on managers going forward. But here we are with with him out, and it looks like Thomas Tuchel coming in. So see, well, I guess time will tell if Tuchel turns it all around and wins the Premier League next season, then we'll know for sure that maybe Frank Lampard wasn't going to get the job done. That would be a wonderful bit of hindsight if we did know that indeed. Yeah. Thomas
1: Tuckle, though, uh, Graham, what do you think about him before we move on to our first game we're going to talk about this weekend? Um, a manager who, you know, does have a fairly decent resume, who was fired by his previous club for winning the league twice and getting to the Champions League final. So he's used to reasonably high standards.
3: Yes. Um, and I think he is quite simply a, a better coach than Lampard. I think we're going to see a lot more. Um, Tactical uh, fingerprints on Chelsea than we than we than we saw uh, under Lampard. I, it, it does feel quite a, a, a risky appointment, though. I mean, Tuchel was at PSG was. Renowned for being uh, notoriously prickly, not just with the, the press, but with the, with his employers, and 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 maybe demanding signings that he that he didn't get, and in the end, that that the breakdown in that relationship was was um, as much of a contributing factor to him getting sacked than actually the, the results. So, Chelsea hiring someone like that at, at, at this point of of the season feels a little bit risky. Obviously, with the the Antonio Conte not so long ago, who I would compare as a, as a character to be quite similar to. to to uh, Tuchel, so it, it felt like they they didn't want to go down that road again with with someone um, you know quite so so headstrong, and, and now they've gone and, and got Tuchel. But it, it is certainly going to be interesting. I think he's been appointed primarily to protect two of Chelsea's biggest investments from the summer, which are are obviously Timo Werner and, and, and Kai Havertz, the the German connection there. I'm not sure if there's any if there's any more evidence to base. An opinion on that Tuchel will do better with those two players than the fact that they share a nationality but it just feels a little bit like that at at the moment so certainly an interesting one he's an interesting character he's not your stereotypical football manager his his mind works in a slightly different way um I don't know whether you would want to call that um slightly more kind of uh, unorthodox intelligence or or something like that but yeah I'm I'm looking forward to see how he how he gets on there
0: yeah
2: I, 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 I I was just going to yeah. add, first of all, I like the cycle of like intensity and then they appoint somebody like calm and friendly and then they go back to the intense manager. You have Mourinho twice, Viesposh in there, Conte as well. Yeah, so I like this cycle that they're on. I'm still bummed. I really wanted them to go for Shevchenko so Roman Abramovich could have his second attempt at making Shevchenko fit into Chelsea. He's managing Ukraine, I think, but alas, it was not meant to be. So instead, it's Thomas Tuchel. Ryan, are you, are you excited for Thomas Tuchel in the Premier League? I'm as excited as one could be for Thomas Tuchel. <laughs> I think
1: is the only way I could uh, describe yeah. it. And I, I, you know, we're not going to get as much banter in the press conferences. Let's uh, let's let's put it that way, shall we? I think it'd be very interesting to see. I think it's interesting uh, as Graham inferred that Thomas Tuchel, being a man who has sort of rubbed up against ownership at a previous big club, and uh, you know, I think he's called himself something like a sporting administrator rather than a manager at times. Is that that was right, wasn't it? And I feel like he's he might find similar issues at Chelsea but uh but it would be interesting to see if he can find Chelsea's best team because that was something that Frank, Frank Lampard uh, generally probably didn't So that's very interesting. We'll see how that one turns out. Good luck to Chelsea if you feel that way. If you don't, hey-ho, let's move on to uh, the FA Cup this weekend. The FA Cup comes around very quick these days, doesn't it? Uh, The the next round was here. The fourth round was here and it was uh, Manchester United taking on Liverpool, which gave us a sense of deja vu. A very, I would call it an unentertaining match against these two teams, uh, between these two teams last weekend. Quite a different story unfolded in this one. Some sprinklings of FA Cup magic uh, caused this one to be 3-2 to Liverpool in the end, uh, with Manchester United earning the right to play the mighty West Ham uh, in the next round here. Uh, Taylor, this game, to Mm -hmm. me, you could say certainly the Manchester United overall dominated, but it felt pretty well balanced. When you look at the stats, it was quite even. Probably could have gone either way score-wise. But ultimately, Manchester United posing the most for it, and the right team won. Is that fair
2: to say? (laughs) Uh, I mean, the winning team won. So, yeah, I'll, I'll go with that one. I always love when managers say the better team didn't win today. Because, uh, yeah, you're incorrect. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think that's the case. I also think, uh, in my opinion, this was a little bit Manchester United coming away from that last draw, thinking that maybe that was an OK result and then maybe realizing that was not, in fact, a great result and maybe they could have gotten more. And this does feel like maybe gonna Gunnar Solskjaer set them up to be a bit more aggressive, to have players in more familiar positions and situations. And I do think that made a massive difference in this game.
1: Yeah, so you mentioned about being in familiar positions. I want to talk to you about a certain position, Marcus Rashford playing on yeah. the left. And we saw him sort of looping in some very nice balls from that left flank. And I've seen sort of some fans say he's the best left-sided attacker and also the best right sided attacker that Manchester United have. Where do you sit as a Manchester United fan, uh, on on where he should play? I mean, I'm, I'm referring to that, that pass for the Greenwood goal where he's, you know, once again assisting young people as he has as is his wont to do. Um but but left side if Russian, it seems like he can be quite dangerous sort of coming in from that channel doesn't it
2: i mean until cloning is an option and we can play him in like four different positions at once yeah i'll, I'll go left <laughs> side carl anka who was on the show last week wrote a very good piece sort of about where Rashford tends to be uh, statistically more productive. And it does seem to be on that left side when he can cut in, but when he can still go at defenses and try to get around and and, uh, square the ball or have kind of a near post shot that tends to create better goal scoring opportunities than when he's central or on the right. I also just think Edson Cavani looks very good in the middle for Manchester United right now. I I don't know if anybody looks particularly great out on the right wing. Mason Greenwood was good, was decent, but maybe showed his uh, youth, A few different times. So I think if you're asking like, yeah, Rashford can definitely do either one of those jobs. But in the end, I think I'll go left side. Fair enough. Graham, what
1: made this game different to last week's game, do you think? Was it just the mentality that it was a knockout competition and that made the setup a little different? Or was it that Liverpool had a 19 year old with a couple of first team appearances and a midfielder at centre back?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm half joking with what I'm about to say, but I, I I also think there's an element of truth in it. I think that the difference was this game didn't feel like it mattered as much as last week's game, and I know that <laughs> I'm not the biggest fan of the FA Cup, so maybe that's just me. But there was there was there, it didn't have that same edge. It didn't feel like if one team lost, the the world was was going to collapse. Um, you know, and and I just think that, that maybe relaxed the two teams a little bit more. Obviously, in the t- in the two team selections, you obviously get a sense that. That both managers, it wasn't as important as as the league game. So I just think you, you got more a looser, more relaxed performance from from both teams, and 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 the goals flowed from that. In terms of on the Manchester United side, the personnel was was a little bit different, obviously most notably in in the centre midfield, and obviously uh, Cavani starting as well. But I felt the balance of the team was was pretty much the, the same. You know, Pogba was in the Bruno Fernandez role, Van der Beek was in the I suppose he was in the Fred role essentially, and in, in, in mm. midfield. Um, so Solskjaer kind of, uh, as I said, slipped a few different um, changes of personnel, but quite a similar uh, balance to the team. I, I personally felt that that front three for Manchester United is, is probably their strongest front three right now with, with Rashford on the left, Greenwood on the right, and Cavani um, through the middle. I thought the performance of Cavani answered a few questions about his his role in this team. I know he it was his pass that essentially gave away the, the second Liverpool goal, but I thought he was really good in... And not just acting as a a, a true number nine in the the way that Manchester United don't have in any other sort of player, but also he's capable of facilitating a counter-attack, which was one of the the questions I had about him was, is he as as good as Martial at at, at getting an attack forward in a a matter of seconds? And and there was a number of opportunities where he he did that. There was one in particular where there's a nice little back heel flick through to to Greenwoods. Um, He didn't slow up the play, which I thought he might do. He might take that himself, but... He recognized where the space was. And so there's just just a few questions answered there about Cavani. And it wouldn't surprise me now if in Solskjaer's mind going forward, especially over the next few weeks, if, if he's now seen as the starting uh, center forward. I'm all for that. We- I think
2: he, he's still a joy to watch, isn't he, Taylor? He, he is, certainly. But that then makes me want to ask Graham or you, Ryan, or whomever else. Uh, what do you think that means for Anthony Martial? Does that mean he goes to the right wing or does that mean he
3: finds himself a comfortable position on the bench? Um, on the bench I think at the moment I mean M- Mary- Marshall's a strange one because he's still getting a lot of chances he really should be in probably double figures for the season um, so you know that old cliche of you'd be more worried if a striker wasn't getting chances but we're now in we're now coming into February in the season yeah. and Anthony Marshall hasn't found the scoring touch so it's, it's now time I think for Solskjaer to just go with the guy who you would back to, to finish that one chance. And, and at the moment, I think it's definitely Cavani. Obviously, Martial can, can play in the left, so he's a good depth option to have to rotate out of uh, Rashford out or Cavani out, I guess. But um, yeah, go with Cavani right now. He seems like the best option.
1: And talking about the Manchester United bench, can we talk about Donny van der Beek as well? Who obviously got a start here, but didn't finish. Uh, Bruno coming on and stealing the show very much. What do we think about him? Um, you know, he he had a, he had a, some decent chances early on, if memory serves me correct. And also, I just remember him being reasonably negative with some sideways and backwards passes as well. Is he? Is it that he's never going to get the chance to prove himself in this team when someone like Bruno can come on and you know and and steal it away? Is is
2: it or is he going to be like a slow burner, like a Fred? Like Fred took a few years to get used to this team, didn't he, Taylor? He did, and and some would argue maybe he still is, but is a is a strong midfielder when they need him. Uh, I, I think Danny Van de Beek will continue to get uh, like chances here and there. I think the larger chances will come uh, if and when slash when Paul Pogba leaves the club. I, I still feel like he was sort of brought in as a like we know Paul's going to go maybe this summer, so we'll bring in this replacement who can play the exact same position and do a couple of the things, and then Paul Pogba stays, and now you sort of have. Uh, a surplus of midfielders in a few spots and then a lack of them maybe a little bit further behind. So I think that's maybe part of it. Uh, But I also think he has been a part of why Paul Pogba has turned around a little bit. I I imagine competition and a player coming in and sort of showing that they can do some of what you do or can at least help the team perform maybe does remind Paul Pogba that you got to work a little bit and you got to go after it. And I would say he had a pretty solid game in this one. I did enjoy that combo. If there were a way to get all three of them with Bruno in there as well, uh, that would be very fun. I think it would just also be a massive defensive liability so i doubt we get that but i wouldn't mind it (laughs) just sneak some extra players on the pitch you'll be fine yeah don't get away with that a couple more rashford's we've already talked about this
1: (laughs) multi rashford all right well why don't we talk about liverpool for a second as well uh graham you had some thoughts about um liverpool fullbacks in this one on on our text chat
3: yeah um in terms of uh Alexander Arnold, Arnold, or I can't actually remember what we talked about. <laughs> there was so much to talk about. <laughs> actually, more specifically, we had
1: thoughts about uh, Liverpool centre backs, and Reese Williams was one. You, uh, Rhys Williams, here, who, right? We didn't go. have a fantastic game here. We sort of had the uh, miss that pass completely coming through for for the for the two-one goal for Manchester United, and had a couple of other pretty pretty dodgy errors here. Are, are we thinking that Liverpool need at least one other centre back cover for him? It's it seems like. Um, it seems like he wasn't quite up to standard here. Yeah, sorry. There, there's, there's so
3: much nonsense in our group chat that whenever there's actually <laughs> yeah. anything of, of worth. <laughs> yes, we did speak about Reese Williams. And um, I think I said to you a number of weeks ago, look, that he's a kid and I don't want to be too harsh on him because he's been thrown in, into a situation that he really shouldn't be in. But I, I just, I, quite fundamentally, I don't think he's good enough for, for Liverpool. This, this is a guy, I think he was on loan last, last season at Kidderminster and now he's got Marcus wow. Rao. Edison Cavani running at him at Old Trafford um, and he doesn't seem to I think at halftime Manchester United Solskjaer it was quite clear that one of the the things he told his team was was to target Reese Williams because that within about 10 minutes of halftime they'd played three balls uh, quite close to him but just just enough behind him to test them and one of them of course was was release Rashford through and he, and, and he scored Um I think yeah, Liverpool could certainly use with a, do another do with another centre back. They, I think they needed one in the summer when when Lovren left and they and they didn't replace him. There was. There was talk of uh, I think Mondi from from Real Betis seemed like that was happening, and it wasn't happening. And, and Diego Carlos from Sevilla was linked, and, and uh, Ozan Kabak from from Schalke, and none of these seemed to happen. So I think they do certainly need a, a a depth option. I'm also really concerned when you mentioned the fullbacks. I thought you might be talking about Trent Alexander Arnold because wow, what has happened to Trent Alexander Arnold? Yeah. I think he he was the best right back in world football for a couple seasons. Um, and now he's really struggling. And, and I, I just wonder if he needs a little bit of competition. And on that same side on 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 Sunday, um on the of the pitch was obviously he was up against Luke Shaw. And if there's an example for Liverpool to follow on how a bit of competition can just, Get a player out of a little bit of a rut. It's you know the examples Luke Shaw because on on the flip side what has happened to Luke Shaw? Uh, <laughs> all of a sudden he looks like one of the best left backs in the, in the Premier League, and, and it seems to the, the catalyst seems to have been Alex Telles coming in and, and 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 pushing him on a little bit. So I know James Milner can play right back, but I'm I'm talking about some real competition from a, a natural right back. I think that would that has to be a a priority for Liverpool in the next transfer window because Trent Alexander Alexander, Alexander Arnold's form. As a real concern, man, Graham. Graham, I have to say, sorry, Ryan. Graham, like, just
2: blew my mind a little bit because I always hear that argument of like, oh, this player's not doing very well. You need to bring somebody in to give them some competition. And for me, it's like if I'm struggling, and Ryan's like, oh, we're bringing in another co-host just in case you need some competition. I would be a little bit stressed out. But you're absolutely right that it's Alex Ellis coming in, looks very good. Seems like he can do that job. And now Luke Shaw has like elevated his performance a little bit. Looks a little bit fitter too. And that is a re- very compelling argument, and also maybe just giving him a little bit of rest so it's not always Trent Alexander Arnold. And I do think if it is always him, he doesn't get the opportunities then to maybe develop his game or try different things. It tends to be kind of a lot of the same stuff. And so maybe, yeah, a little experimentation, a little variation there will work. Uh, also, when we talk Kidderminster, first of all, up the Harriers. Second of all, uh, Reese Williams, what, 19. So I, I do feel sort of bad for him. And I think it goes back to the initial point that this did feel like Jurgen Klopp, at least he was there. We know if he really doesn't want to be there for a game, he just won't show up. Uh, so at least <laughs> this was a cup game that he showed up for. Therefore it matters. But he's playing a 19-year-old at center back alongside a central midfielder. It did have that feel of like, hey, if we win, then it's a great story. And if we lose, I played some kids. And it wasn't really that important to begin with. So I, I, I feel bad for Reese Williams, but I, I hope that's not his final opportunity for Liverpool
1: yeah I'd, I'd be inclined to agree with that now something that ian wright said on the bbc coverage here um was that manchester united had the edge here because they had impact substitutes to come on namely bruno fernandez fernandez coming on and uh, and scoring the the winning goal of course but I, I was thought about this and i thought hang on liverpool do seem to have impact substitutes sadio mane did come on in this game but then you look at oh yeah the other ones were Shakiri and and diva who came on and you know uh, Manchester United bringing on Fernandez, who can be a huge difference maker, obviously, and uh, Martial and Fred also coming on for them as well. Do do we buy that? That maybe the the, the, informa- the, the, the uh, inference here is that Liverpool's squad is a little bit too thin. They don't have any any
2: uh, impact off the bench, uh, uh, Taylor. Um, yeah, I think there's probably an argument to be made for that. I mean, obviously the injuries they've sustained this season is part of that. And you didn't have certain like you didn't have Jordan Henderson on the bench, for example. And I feel like that would have been a name that probably elevates the performance right away. But I think if you look at the differences, there's uh, Simicast and Minamino, for example, players that are brought in that we still haven't quite seen like find their form or be instrumental to that Liverpool team. And you contrast that with players who didn't make appearance for Manchester United, like say Juan Mata and Nemanja Matic, even Daniel James. They have a bit more of the experience when it comes to the Premier League. They have a bit more of experience when it comes to playing first team minutes. And so I think there's probably something to be said for the experience at Manchester United's bench right now, emphasizing right now, because injury is again a part of that. But I think it is probably an advantage that Liverpool don't quite have
1: inclined to agree and talk about Liverpool there maybe one final point from me Thiago who gets an awful lot of praise uh, from all, all, all corners of the media even for the sound of the ball when he strikes it which is an interesting one but didn't quite cover himself in glory in this one did he Graham um, getting substitute, substituted off here uh, and um, ducking for the free kick was it
2: <laughs> did he duck there?
3: Yeah, but he ducked with intelligence, though. The way he ducked it was...
2: <laughs> <laughs> it was so sublime. You could hear the way he ducked. It sounded so nice.
3: <laughs> I mean, my, my unpopular opinion with Thiago is he, he's becoming a little bit of a problem for Liverpool. And and yes, he's, you know, there's no more attractive passer of the ball in the Premier League. And I do get it. He looks very good when he's when he's playing football. Um But I just wonder, is he athletic enough to play in in a a Jurgen Klopp midfield, which is very fast and furious and a lot of movement and a lot of runs forward? That's not really his game. I mean, it, it frequently feels like he slows down their play. So you've either got two options. Does he adapt? Does he have that in his locker to be... And over his, the course of his career, he has actually kind of slipped deeper and deeper in, in midfield. Can he go back to when he burst through at Barcelona when he was much more of a, of an attacking midfielder? Is that so, the solution there? Or does Klopp build a, a new midfield around Thiago and make Liverpool a much more considered, kind of more ponderous team in the middle of, of the pitch? And if you do that, then you risk... Uh, changing the the complete approach and the complete personality of of, of of this Liverpool team. So he's a brilliant player. He's a, a brilliant player has joined a brilliant team, but yet there, there's still something missing there. And, and I thought this was uh, another um, illustration of that. Where yes, he he looks he gives the gives the illusion of controlling things and um, d- being dangerous and maybe picking open an opposition defence, but just there's just something missing and it's it's just not clicking yet. I think. My it, last- Gold the title. the evidence I would say to
2: like to go with Graham, I think the defense is a larger issue. I want to say that. Like, I really enjoyed the meme that was uh, it's the principal Skinner meme of him saying like, no, it's the children who are wrong. Uh, <laughs> and I think they just like spliced in. Is it the fact that we don't have any solid defenders or is it Tiago? It's Tiago who is wrong. Like, that's kind of how this feels. But that said, there are little things that like coming from Barcelona, then with Bayern Munich. He has so much familiarity with the system at, at at Barcelona, coming through the academy. Then he goes to Bayern Munich with Pep Guardiola, and again, there's that familiarity. And looking at some of the things he does for Liverpool that are very good, I don't know, like if you then see the corresponding like downplay in the in the the bad stuff he does, or like is that diminishing? And a big part of what we know about gegenpressing is Jurgen Klopp wants everybody pressing intelligently without fouling, and maybe this is just because I felt like I started to see it. And so I noticed it more, but there was just a lot of little, like after the ball had gone, Tiago gets there, just a little bit of contact. Sometimes it's a foul. Sometimes it's not, but that he is conceding fouls and having to step. I don't know if that means it's him not being as familiar with the system, or if it's like maybe the people around him not being quite as up to the level, but either way that those fouls that sort of having to close 15 yards as quickly as he can, but not quite making a play those feel very much the opposite of what Jurgen Klopp wants when it comes to a consistent gegen-pressing system. So I take Graham's point. like It does feel like it's a minor issue or an issue. I just don't know if it's a minor one compared to all the other ones or if it's a prominent one.
1: Well, it is Manchester United who will be progressing in the FA Cup. And as for Liverpool, hey, you scored some goals. That counts, right? That's important. (laughs) That's a thing you haven't done lately. So well done. (laughs) We're going to come back with a few more games to talk about. We're going to head to the continent. But first, a quick message from our sponsors.
2: FX is Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. All right, let's get back to it. We're going to talk some Serie A. Ah, Juventus
1: got a 2-0 win at the weekend, courtesy, at least half courtesy of a Western McKennie
2: goal, in which he did a Harry Potter celebration. Taylor, did you know he was a Harry Potter fan? Uh, I knew he was, like, into it. I didn't know he was fully a fan, such that he would do one magic when he scored goals. That was pretty exciting. I think he even said he has a tattoo of Harry Potter, which is really taking things that to That feels us. familiar, but I couldn't remember if that was Weston McKinney or Pete Davidson. I know Pete Davidson has one, and those are two ple- people that we always confuse on this show. So there you go. <laughs> hey, why not both? I think Pete <laughs> Davidson got the other goal in that
1: game for a 2-0 win for, for the, defense, there, by the <laughs> way, uh, Roma had, a, had quite a game uh, they, over Spezia. They had a mad win, a 4-3 win with a last minute goal there. But the game we're going to talk about, uh, ladies and gents, is Milan, the leaders who took on Atalanta, the leaders in now, hipster hearts. Uh, Atalanta heading to the San Siro. Uh, for, for, what is, for all intents and purposes, a local derby. They're both Lombardi teams. Um, they, it was a 3-0 win for Atlanta here. Atalanta, not Atlanta. Atalanta, they won. Extra extra Vale ride, extra Val. Um, Milan still take two points clear at the top of the table. They are winter champions in Serie A. Uh, interesting game this, though. Was it, Graham,
3: more that Atalanta were good or that Milan were bad?
1: Or maybe a mix of both?
3: Um, I it's always one of my uh, my pet peeves when pundits say a bit of both. So I'm just going to be bold and go with one of them. I'm going to say <laughs> AC Milan were bad in this game. The defending seemed to be really bad, uh, particularly the third goal. I'm not entirely sure what Simon. I think Simon Kyer that, that who seems to get drawn. I think Romero is is kind of running through the the center of the pitch. There's three Milan defenders back, so there's not really any need for Kyer who is tracking uh, Zapata to get drawn to the ball but he does mm. draw into the ball and that creates the space for Romero um to play a pass into acres of space and Zapata scores the third goal and and that just seemed to epitomize what was a really poor defensive performance from Milan obviously they they didn't score either and there was a couple of missed opportunity particularly from um from Zlatan but um yeah poor performance i thought the goalkeeping was quite poor as well you think you brought that up in the no- in the notes Ryan yeah that's one of the things that, that struck me about this game was was Donnarumma diving over a lot of shots strangely he seemed to be there the penalty dives over as well as as the first one so um yes I will say this was as as well as Atalanta did play you know they're always good in an attacking sense I felt that the main reason that they won the 3-0 was was Milan being pretty bad
1: yeah, it, it seemed like the the goalkeeping for Don Aruma there. You know that gif of the robot where the ball is kicked and he sort of dies <laughs> two seconds later. There was a lot of that going on from Don Aruma, I thought, uh, in this game. And you're quite right to mention that that Zapata <laughs> goal, the third goal, uh, when the move starts, or so like Zapata's in the centre circle, he's got sort of no one within twenty yards of him at all, and K- uh, Kaya sort of um, marking the space and not the man, if you're going to use a cliche, I suppose there. And he gets drawn to Illich's run, as you say, uh, but uh, his teammate, I think it was Masake, was already there, so that was pretty poor. And uh when even on the first goal the christian romero goal um it's, it's a corner situation and there's uh, atalanta have more men in the box it's five against four if you look at what's going on there and it's just th- th- i think it's um it was kiatawenga who totally lets romero go totally lets him go for that first goal as well and a pretty soft ball that as you say gets under Donnerum. so lots going wrong at the back for this one for milan taylor
2: yeah yeah I think it was uh, kalulu uh, who who let um who let the man get free for the Romero opener. Uh, and I think to. To, like I'm gonna go with what Graham said a little bit, which is I- I'm gonna argue that this was Atalanta being very, very good and Milan being very bad at dealing with what Atalanta do very well. Basically, I think like Milan did not handle Atalanta's approach, which is to sort of create overloads and put people in different positions. You have center backs advancing when you don't expect them to be there. Normally, it's Papu Gomez. He was uh, as as the number ten. Sorry, not a center back, uh, but he is on the outs with Gasparini. Seems like he's gonna move. So I thought they were gonna be in trouble. But instead, they kind of continue to do exactly what they do. I thought Matteo Pessina did really well in that number 10 role. But I think their goal is to create overloads and at the very least make Milan or their opposition, but in this case, Milan, have to step in different ways or just sort of like move around such that when they do win the ball back, they're not then able to build the way they want to because their center midfielder is now out on the left and the left midfielder is up top and the forward is now back with the center backs because Atalanta have pulled everybody around and it makes it really hard to build. And I kept seeing that especially in the first half that Milan, when they would win the ball back, it was sort of they'd complete one or two passes and then there was really nobody around anybody. There kept being these 20-yard gaps. And I think that was Atalanta executing their game plan perfectly and Milan really struggling to deal with it. And we can, we can give Milan
1: sort of dispensation of the fact they were missing starters here. They, uh, Robin Dolly wasn't there. Ciannoglu wasn't there. Benacer, uh, even Ante Rebic, uh, you know, not playing in this one. They, but they've won without starters before. They've won without their big players before. They've won games without Zlatan, who they, they're often accused of sort of being a one-man team with him. But, you know, Zlatan sort of had, a, had an off day here as well. I think I'm right in saying they didn't have any shots on target until the 71st minute when that, when that fountain of youth Mario Mandzukic came on and, uh, and uh, had a shot on target. and. <laughs> It just seemed like they didn't really take their chances up top here. And if I was going to look at one player who was missing, who might have been a difference maker here, maybe it's Benacer in the middle because we've mentioned uh, many times on the show how that that pivot in the middle of Kessie and Benacer is really important to this Milan team. And when he wasn't there, they just they couldn't handle the press. Basically, I think uh, Kessie couldn't really handle the press, and maybe Benacer was the one who could have beaten it. Perhaps, to uh, Graham, what do you think?
3: Yeah, certainly. I mean, Benaserra has been excellent this season, a key figure for them. I mean, I'm just still looking through that that AC Milan team. It's still it's still a very strong side. So, you know you obviously you've got Sandro Tonali in this in the centre of the pitch there alongside mm. uh, Frank Frankesse, and you know Tonali um, widely seen as some form of. Uh, De Rossi pirlo hybrids not that there's any pressure on him to be you know a superstar <laughs> but um yeah I mean he he's a, he's a quality player and and you know I know they're they're missing some kind of a, a attackers as well but Castillejo you know very good player um Leao on, on the left side and and, and you mentioned Manzukic who Taylor, you tweeted last night about players who um, have played for yep. every Serie A club. He was actually the opposite. I actually thought he he was one of those players, and yet then I looked up his Wikipedia page just to double check, and oh, he's only this is only his second Serie A team. I felt like he had played for at least three or four. Did he not have a spell at Napoli at some point? I was incorrect on that, but um, yeah, I, I I felt it was still a strong enough Milan team to 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 at least perform better than they did here i mean it was it was just quite shambolic in in, in, in a number of phases of the match I
2: always think that uh, Roberto Baggio won the World Cup, and that feels sort of the same thing of like, yeah, it's a feel fact. Like, yeah, Baggio won the World Cup. Mandzukic played for 12 Serie A teams. It's fine. Whatever. We're good. (laughs) Do you call that a feel fact? Uh, It's a joke from uh, when Kate McKinnon is playing Laura Ingram for Fox News, and she keeps (laughs) saying, uh, yeah, she refers to everything she's talking about as feel facts instead of actual facts. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful stuff. Well, an actual fact is that Gasparini has got the better of uh, Pioli
1: a a few times now, and certainly this was no exception. I'm confused guys because I was I was told that Sassuolo were the hipster team of choice who were doing really <laughs> well this season but apparently it's Atalanta again who are doing really well once again and uh maybe one of the best players on the field for them was Christian Romero in the back here who, who got a goal and assist just really really good defender really good at, at, at getting up the field as well uh just uh I'm looking at his stats here 89% success, uh, pass success rate in this game um and maybe you know maybe a team like Juventus could do with him maybe a team like Juventus could could do with a player like Christian Romero you know Juventus who have a couple of uh Aging
2: centre backs. What do you think? Any, any, <laughs> any take us there? I can't tell if this is a joke because he's on... Is he on loan from Juve? Is that where we are with this one? He's on loan from Juve. And I believe
1: Atalanta have an €18 million (laughs) option to buy him as well. So they're basically, he's out the
2: door in many ways. Yet, it seems like he's a rather good player. (laughs) I like that I'm learning Ryan's cadences. Because I I knew there was a player in this team who was on loan for Juve. That is part of what led to that tweet that Graham was mentioning. But I couldn't remember who it was. And slowly, I was like, oh, I see what's happening here. Because... But like... you. Like, to extend that further, though, like, seriously, like, we talked about Liverpool needing centre-backs. He not only can drive forward, he can link up passes, he can get assists, but there was the sequence in the second half, I think it was the, I'm trying to find my notes here, but he is the one where he, like, blocks or he pokes it away from Kessie maybe it was the first half and then he blocks a shot immediately after that and it was just a sort of like oh he can create things and also deny opportunities all over the place yeah I think he'd be good for Juve or Liverpool or Chelsea or Atalanta he can stay there too that's fine wonderful stuff
1: any more for any more in this game before we move on are we, are we still confident in Milan doing a good job at the top of Serie A and maintaining a title threat Graham
3: well, one, one thing I did notice from this match was be- behind uh, both goals, there were carb- cardboard cutouts yeah. of Fortnite characters in AC Milan kits. And I just was just thinking to myself, God, I hope Roy Keane's not watching this game. <laughs> 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 he will be having a heart attack. Football's changed, man. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I mean, like, this was a, a pretty disastrous performance from Milan. Um, they're still top of Serie A, right? Because, um, yes. Enter drew with Udinese, that's correct, isn't it? Yeah, um, so uh, you, you would hope from their perspective it's just a blip and, 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 and really their form's been strong enough over the season that, that they have bounced back before. So I, I expect they'll do similar again. What's a more uh, absurd usage of Fortnite, uh, Graham
2: or Ryan? Uh, Is it the usage here where they have the Fortnite characters behind the goal? Or is it announcing that Emperor Palpatine is still live for the final Star Wars movie via a Fortnite game?
3: (laughs) Both are still both ridiculous. I mean, I've never, ever played Fortnite. And I know that maybe ages me slightly. But like, is it all that? (laughs) Uh, it's I mean it I I have played it once and it was like, yeah, it's fun. You sky, you
2: skydiving, you shoot some people. I think it's just that it's like the recurring arcade thing, like you don't have to do levels or anything like that. Uh yeah, it's fine. It, it was it was a good time, but you know, I I have other games that I'm addicted to. I have only so many addictions, Graham. I can't do uh, them all.
3: On on a scale of zero to Simpsons Hit and Run, where where is it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, nothing will ever compare okay i've gone very
1: quiet in this conversation because i know the word Fortnite, but i have no other information about that
2: game apart from that like you only I know, know the two. classical meaning right <laughs> yeah it's two weeks right <laughs> i think so <laughs> yes and then i forget what four score is but yes Fortnite and Four are both confusing. Grand thoughts? <laughs> yes, those are my thoughts.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I would not have spotted a Fortnite character uh, dressed up in a, in a in a blanket behind behind the goal in all honesty because I don't really know what it is because I'm 100 years old. Anyway, <laughs> should we uh, should we move our attentions to the Bundesliga? Uh, a few a few interesting games are unfolding in Germany this weekend. Uh, RB Leipzig uh, uh, slumping 3-2 to Mainz. Tyler Adams getting his first uh, uh, Bundesliga goal. I believe as well. Uh, if you saw this one, it was Marble, Marcel Sebitzer who fired an absolute rocket from outside the box and uh, Thailand just came in and cleaned it up. Just uh, tapped it in. Lovely, lovely play there. Uh, Dortmund, meanwhile, got glad back on Friday. And leverkusen Lotte Wolfsburg, which is all to say that it was all up to Bayern Munich to take three points against uh, on a visit to Schalke, which they very much did. A null fear for Schalke, null fear, uh, 4-0 for Bayern Munich in this game at the Weltans Arena. And uh, Bayern Munich opening up a seven-point gap at the top of the Bundesliga in January. Feels like we've been here before, Taylor.
2: It really does. It really does. I mean, if it were March, I would say they've definitely won the league since that is tradition. But like even when uh, Lewandowski gets the second goal and there are still two more to come, lest we forget, like his celebration was as though it were 6-0 already. Like it just felt like Bayern were like, all right, we know what we're doing here. Like we're going to get a couple (laughs) more goals. It's not a big deal. We'll, We'll coast to this one. We'll sub everybody out. It just felt so business as usual at a certain point that yes I take your meeting. that it does sort of seem like this is Bayern rounding into form everybody's just kind of doing what they do as everybody else in the Bundesliga does what they do which is drop points randomly
1: yeah just a bit depressing that all the all the Bundesliga contenders lost and then Bayern Munich came in and swept up and said we'll have those three points I yeah. uh, thank you very much and we'll also do it against the worst team in the league. So yeah. <laughs> reasonably easy work they made of this, as you said. Uh, Lewandowski there getting uh, having, having another excellent performance here, getting his name on the score sheet, uh, becoming uh, the uh, first player to get 500 goals for club and country in the Bundesliga. Uh, he's scored in eight straight away games, the first person in the Bundesliga to do that. Also his 11th game in a row scoring against Schalke. So Graham, at what point, do they cancel the Ballon d'Or so we can't get it again? That's my question.
3: <laughs> well, what he needs to do, like Ronaldo, he needs to create his own awards with Jorge Mendes and then uh, name himself Player of the Century in 2021, which is what uh, Ronaldo did uh, two uh, weeks ago. I think. I'm sorry. What? Do you not know about that? Uh, so, Ronaldo, no. <laughs> Ronaldo and Jorge Mendes, uh, I'm Googling what it's actually called. Um, But yeah, they created uh, Uh, an award. Is it the B-Best Awards? That feels appropriate. The Globe Soccer Awards, founded Uh in 2010, founded by Ronaldo and Jorge Mendes. Uh, Ronaldo has won Player of the Year every single year. uh, No. For for 11 years. And uh, he beat... I'm reading a a news report uh, here. So uh, Ronaldo beats Messi to be crowned Player of the Century at Globe Soccer Awards. Uh, This was on the 27th of December um, 2020, which uh, obviously, you know... Twenty years into the century, and we've got another eighty years for uh, someone to uh, to put forward a stronger case than uh, Old <laughs> Cristiano. So yes, going back to the original point, that's what uh, Robert Lewandowski needs to do. He needs to think. See, this is why he's he's you know he's not on a boundary d'Or. He's not he's not got the smarts like Ronaldo. He needs to you know needs to think outside the box. But. Um, <laughs> Yeah, another great <laughs> performance on, on the back of that tangent. Sorry, <laughs> I'm, I'm obsessed with this idea.
2: That's that's what everybody needs to do. In fact, I am creating the Taylor Rockwell uh, Total Soccer Show Weekend Review Podcasting Award, and oh, it goes to Ryan Bailey, son of a bitch. Yes!
3: <laughs>
1: I was going to say I've been running the Ryan Bailey Award for the past 36 years, and I've I've got a really good streak going on at the moment, so I'm pretty yeah. happy with that one as well. Uh, and I'd say who else should be happy is Yosu Akimic uh, proving himself to be quite useful for Bayern Munich once. Again, showing how much he was missed when he was out. Uh, King gimmick in this one getting three assists and pretty much a perfect game for him, albeit he was given relatively perfect conditions. Not a lot of pressure applied by <laughs> uh, Schalke in this game and pretty much let him have a run of the field whenever he wanted it, Taylor.
2: Yeah, I mean, like, I have been hearing Shaka are going to get relegated. Manuel Veith has been saying on this show Shaka will be relegated since, like, maybe October, maybe September. And I'm still been like, yeah, but they're still Shaka. They'll find a way. They are absolutely going to be relegated. Yes. Uh, and yes, this is Bayern Munich. Yes, they're an incredibly good team. Uh, but the third and fourth goals and the just the time period surrounding it was Schalke completely switching off, not really fighting anymore, and the bigger thing for me was that even when they did try to change their approach a little bit, because sometimes they're defending in a kind of 4-4-2 with two banks of four, sometimes they were in a a 5-4-1, but it kept being more similar to a 5-0-4-1 or a 5-4-0-1, and there just kept being these 15-20 yard spaces that Byron could sit in and find space and find time and play balls and really accurate balls at that, because we know Byron can do that, Um, even The fourth goal is David Alaba just sort of like "Uh, okay, like if you want me to keep going with the ball, no problem. So much so that when he shoots, he really does drive forward fifteen yards or so. For people who haven't seen it, then he shoots still from distance. And if you watch, Suat Serdar is standing at the top of the eighteen, steps out maybe a yard or two, and when David Alaba is still twenty yards away, puts his hands behind his back and shapes up to block the shot. And it's just like, (laughs) dude, not going to get the job done. (laughs) Like even a wall knows it's got to be ten yards away, not (laughs) twenty yards. So that that approach right there was just sort. Of a like, what? How no one's gonna step, no one wants to fight for this one. I thought Matthew Hoppy did a really good job in terms of that fight and energy, but it just seemed like Shaco running a lot and trying to do a lot, and then as soon as that first goal happens. It all kind of comes comes apart, and to some extent, I feel like if they had scored their very early chance, there's a really good headed opportunity that it feels like that could have been the entire turnaround of their season. If they go ahead one nil on Bayern, because Byron were still a little bit like wasteful in possession, still giving the ball away, still easing into the game, and Neuer has that that big save, the knee save on mm. uh, I think it was Uth with the header, and if that goes in, maybe it's a different story. But because it didn't, I really do just go back to this Schalke team look like they don't have a lot of answers. Yeah, they they weren't terrible in in some spaces of this game. They just couldn't hit the target
1: up top. And I think you're right. And they'd had that uh, save that Neuer had to save with his knee. As you mentioned, I thought Sadal looked pretty pretty lively, uh, had a good, decent low shot, I seem to remember, in the second half from him. But just the
2: defending. Who, yeah. le- who leaves Thomas Muller unmarked in the box oh. for a free kick? Who does that? I have to mention this because I'm not sure either of you are familiar with this term, but it's one of my favorite ones that we ever came up with on the Total Soccer Show. Are you both familiar with the Irish Goodbye? Uh... This is when you leave without saying goodbye? yeah it's basically you just sort of like disappear from the party you don't really say goodbye and we came up with the idea that Thomas Muller does the opposite of that so we have the Muller hello which is Thomas <laughs> Muller just showing up in random places that you don't expect him to be and he does it really really well he does it for both of his goals uh, his second one especially he just does a little check to it's a free kick uh, near the corner flag visual yeah. gimmick taking it and he checks two. and shocker are all just like oh okay he's out of the picture and then he just kind of slowly walks back in and is like alright I'm unmarked and now I will head the ball with nobody around. Around me. And he just has this way of popping up and finding space. He does it a few other times in the first half, uh, before he even scores his goal. Uh, and we call that the Muller Hello when he shows up in an area you don't expect him to be, and then he makes something. And then the American uh version of that would be the Christian press Gutentag. So the press Gutentag and the Muller Hello.
1: <laughs> well, I think Liv Gretzka was doing a version that as well, because he was also completely unmarked for that third cult. So uh that's yeah. the- <laughs> interesting stuff going on i do feel sorry for ralph fairman the goalkeeper who generally i think had a despite conceding four goals had a pretty good game but then that david alaba shot comes in from long range it's like
2: oh come on it's right do, do you know the most important thing about all of this christian gross still employed frank lampard yeah. not employed <laughs> <laughs> christian gross outlasts frank lampard wow. yeah, he does. What a wonderful <laughs> irony this
1: life has provided us. Wonderful stuff. Uh, <laughs> Graham, how about, how about Matthew Hopper? We, have, we haven't actually done our weekly uh, roundup of Hopping with the Hopper. Uh, five goals in three games leading into this. Uh, the, uh, I, think, I don't think he had a shot, if my memory serves correct. I think he had, pretty, I mean, he, he had some hustle. I saw him doing some running. The most notable thing I saw Hopper do was ask Lewandowski to swap shirts at the end. Very enthusiastically.
3: <laughs> yeah I mean I'm I'm just frantically looking through the stats to see because I can't remember him having a, a, a shot and indeed he, no. he did not so ra- rather difficult I actually think against Bayern that the space is, is frequently in front of their of their back four so I, I guess um you know it seemed like Uth and and uh, and Harrett were, were, were the ones getting more uh joy with with shots uh, Manuel Neuer actually made a number of, of pretty good saves in in this game while it was uh you know, almost complete dominance from Bayern Munich. They, they you know, they, they they were reasonably vulnerable at the back, but it just it just felt like Hoppe wasn't it, it. wasn't really his game. It didn't feel like there was much space to. I know we've spoken about Bayern Munich's high, uh, high line before, but in this game, mm. it, it didn't feel like Schalke got in behind them very often. So that it, we've seen obviously in the last two three games that Hoppe's has played that that tends to be where he does his best work, and he didn't really get an opportunity like that. But uh, yeah, the, 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 there's still uh, still hope for him.
2: Slander, yeah. slander from both yeah, of you. Okay. Uh, I don't, I don't necessarily disagree. I, I think I liked a lot of when he did have time on the ball. This is definitely from an American perspective because I think of this where. An Algerian or an Austrian player, I'm probably less focused on what they're doing. But I did feel like he at least tried to take on some Bayern attackers. I thought his hold up play on a few occasions was pretty decent, given where the ball was coming from. And I think Graham, to your point, that's a big part of it. Is that Schalke, when they're going for those long balls, if they're maybe 20 yards further up the field, when they go for that, I think it's more on. I think they're mm-hmm. gonna have more joy with it. But instead it felt like routinely it was goal kick taken short center back turns, has nothing on and just hoofs it upfield. And then at that point you're starting from a deeper position. It's always going to be a little bit harder to cause any problems to that back line. So I I did feel sort of like he was doing a pretty thankless task that said he didn't do anything to then like, separate Schalke or make something individually happen. So not a great game, but I wouldn't say a poor game either. But that is, again, through uh, red, white, and blue tinted glasses. Nothing uh, one of my uh, One of my notes that
1: Graham's just reminded me of about, uh, talking about getting in behind the Bayern back line, is that Bayern were doing some very Route 1 stuff uh, quite often, with Josio Kimmich doing it with uh, the first and second goals. Long balls over the top. And as a Wimbledon fan and uh, uh, us being a team who built our reputation on Route 1 and putting balls over the top, I'm all for it. Uh, uh, so my question is: Are Bayern Munich turning into Wimbledon? Yes, they are. Great. Should we move on? it <laughs> <laughs> only well,
2: we will know for sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Any more on this game before we uh,
3: before we head off into our final game, gents? Uh, Graham, anything else? Um, just a thought that that popped into my mind when I was I was taking some notes. And we spoke earlier about Trent Alexander-Arnold and uh, Josh Josh yeah. I wonder whether I don't know whether you remember this, but but two years ago there was a lot of chat about Alexander Ar- Alexander Arnold turning into maybe more of a central midfielder. And I just wonder if Kimmich, if Liverpool were to find a a right back, maybe just to get Alexander-Arnold out of his his rut. I know I'm kind of going back to Liverpool a little bit, but just using the example of Kimmich, who who was so good in this game and and they use his crossing ability from a deep midfield role. Just wondered if that might be something Liverpool could do with with, uh, TAA. Hmm. I like TAA. Have they ever used that system where he... Like
2: starts at Liverpool. Have they ever used that system where he starts as a fullback but then moves central? Because I I tend to think of him as like
3: overlapping and wide yes. to some extent. Like, Graham could he be used as a winger? Do you think could they try him there? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, that you're talking about a fullback that drives in. I mean, that's quite that's yeah. kind of what Cancelo does for Man City. So that's another example they they could they could use yeah, Alexander Arnold in that way. Um, I guess you're saying he, could he be used as a winger? I often feel like uh, Alexander Alexander Arnold is 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 pretty much a winger anyway yeah, <laughs> yeah so uh, you know might not be much difference there but yeah just as I say just something I, when watching make I, th- I thought that that was something that popped into my head the other thing I, I just want to I'm glad Graham brought that up because I
2: wanted to, f- to point out that their right back for this one was Nicholas Sula correct yeah Yeah. And that is not a thing I expected. And I did love that in the opening minutes he went for like a a very slow double step over that was just like, Oh, I guess if you're a right back for Byron, you gotta try something. But I thought (laughs) that's where you're going, Graham, is sort of like, why not just try random people at right back and give Trent Alexander Arnold a break.
3: Yeah, it reminds me of um, you know, Dan Byrne. He's a right back for, for Brighton and he's about seven feet tall. And every time I watch him play. I'm, I'm like, who told him that he is a right back? I'm like shouting, like literally looking for answers out my door going like, who told him he's a right back? <laughs> similar vibes with, uh, with Nicholas Sula. I like it.
1: <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Well, um, before we move on to this game, have Bayern Munich won the league? It feels like Bayern Munich have won the league, doesn't it, Taylor? Oh, yes. Oh, we- <laughs> yes, for sure. Any-, any
3: way back for anyone else, Graham? Uh, no, (laughs) I feel like you should be adding some analysis there, but, but, but no, no, I don't, I don't see it. This happens every season.
1: Yeah. And on that unexpected bombshell, we're going to move on to La Liga very shortly, but right after these messages from our sponsors.
0: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to com slash courtside to learn more. Today's episode
2: is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach, well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mac Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort.
1: All right, and uh, talking about managers who have outlived Frank Lampard in their job, Zinedine Zidane and his Real Madrid side, they beat Alaves 4-1 this weekend. Real Madrid's first win in four, a bounce back for Real Madrid from that embarrassing midweek cup defeat against random lower league team whose name I forget right now. Um, and Alaves beat Real Your Madrid... Name.
2: Your name for a Spanish team.
1: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Alaves beat Real Madrid 2-1 uh, in Madrid in November. Alaves also drew with Barcelona in October. Where did this performance come from, though? Because it was
3: rather good all over the field, wasn't it, Graham? Yes, it was. And it, and it, was, it was unexpected, in a sense, because Real Madrid were so poor against Alkeano and the and, and Copa del Rey during the week. Thank and they, they were poor against, uh, who did they play before that? Athletic Club, sorry, in, in, in the uh, oh. Spanish so- Supercopa. Yeah. Um, but, in a sense, it was also expected just because Real Madrid do this under Zidane. He looked finished after the Champions League defeat to Shakhtar Donetsk, and, uh, and which left them staring at the Europa League. Which uh, Florentino Perez would uh, there was talk about him just for, forfeiting the Europa League if, if Real Madrid dropped into that competition. And um, so offended he was at, at, at that idea. But all of a sudden, I think the games after that where they played Sevilla, then Gladbach, and then there was a Madrid derby. And Real Madrid won all three games, and by the time they got to the Madrid derby, they were playing some of their best football of, of the season, and they won that game. Um, and it just feels like this is the pattern for Real Madrid under Zidane. I mean, Perez, going on the, the media reports, he has fallen a little bit out of love with, with Zidane. It feels like he's restless and kind of wants an excuse to bring in someone new, Julian Nagelsmann, as the chat in, in the Madrid press um but every time he gets close to to getting the opportunity to sag I me mean, you know Real Madrid mm-hmm. put, uh, put on one of their best performances and this was one of their best performances they were they were really good Modric, Benzema, um, Hazard I think we're going to probably talk about him a little bit maybe his best performance in a Real Madrid shirt so um yeah it, it was really good from them. So when
1: Donald Trump used to give a speech and he'd do the speech off the teleprompter and he'd have it written by someone else and then the you know people on CNN would say is this the day he finally became president I'm gonna <laughs> allude that to Eden Azar is this the day he finally became Real Madrid player or is he gonna send some tweets and mess it all up uh, very shortly after this game because he
2: was rather fantastic in this game Taylor I mean, it's the best I can remember him looking in a very long time. That said, yeah. I, I can't claim to have watched a ton of him over the last like four years, but he looked really, really, really electric. He looked really clever in his runs, in his movement, in his link-up play. I thought, uh, I think, Ryan, you have it listed in the in the show notes as like a floating role. I thought oh. the way he and Asensio would not even swap sides, but sometimes Hazard would be on the right with Asensio and also Benzema. And sometimes Asensio would be on the left with so Hazard. I thought it was really clever how they just kept overloading sides. And then obviously you have Mendy and Lucas Vazquez who are more than capable of, of kind of covering that attacking ground themselves. So I thought just his, it seemed as though maybe he's just into the system now and understands it a bit more. Maybe it's that Zidane wasn't there. Maybe that's what it took. We should note that, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, David Batoni, Zidane's assistant was there because Zidane has yeah. COVID. I love that Zinedine Zidane was like, my assistant manager needs to look even more like a Bond villain than I do. Uh, and that they've done. It was a very successful appointment in that regard. But I thought, yeah, Hazard in this game, just like really fun. I think like it's been a long time since I could say that Hazard is fun. And this was a fun game to watch him play. It was fun. I'm disappointed that Tony didn't do the
1: Mr. Burns excellent thing. <laughs> right? well. It looked yes. like that the kind of vibe he had going on. Uh, but you mentioned Karim Benzema there had a very good goal, uh, very good two, good, two good goals, very good game. Um, mm. so, sort of interesting, you mentioned he was sort of floating around as well, I thought, playing a wide role sometimes, mm. finding lots of space running around. Karim Benzema, who's been at Real Madrid an awful long time, Graham. Does he get enough credit for the fact, even just the fact of staying in that Real Madrid team for such a long amount of time, and he's still, you know, really, really good? Do we do we give him the 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 credit he deserves?
3: Yeah, I I think for a long time the answer to that was was no. I think the last two seasons, particularly since since Ronaldo left, he he has been especially in Spain, he he has been getting a, a, a quite a lot of praise just because Real Madrid are so dependent on him. You know, they don't really have another. Player who can play in, in, in his in his in his position, especially since uh, Luka Jovic went back to to Eintracht Frankfurt, who by the way has scored as many goals in three games for Eintracht Frankfurt as he did in eighteen months for for Real Madrid. Yeah. So maybe Zidane should have given him a little bit more of an opportunity there. There's clearly a, a good player in there somewhere. Um, Mariano Diaz has played; a, he's the kind of depth option, but is nowhere near Benzema's standard. But he's 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 a brilliant all round centre forward. I think if you were to compare him to another. Uh, European centre-forward Harry Kane is, is, is pretty much the, the player you would compare him to. Um, obviously, Kane's in excellent form this season as well. Maybe he's doing things at a slightly higher level than Benzema, but, yeah, very similar players. Uh, this, this front three from Real Madrid is the front three that Zidane has been trying to get to for the last two seasons. Benzema, Asensio, and Hazard. And it's a system that's very reliant on the fullbacks. But he's got two. Actually, I was going to say he's got two fullbacks. He's probably got four fullbacks that can play in that role. Because obviously, on the left, he's got Mondi and, and Marcelo. And on the right, he's got Carvajal and, and Lucas Vasquez at the moment, who's playing as a, as a right back um, mm-hmm. in Carvajal's uh, absence. And and really, that just gives Benzema, Sensio and Hazard the freedom to work as this 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 trio who interchange and are very fluid and swap positions, and and that's what we we saw in in, in this game. And it was a game last season Real Madrid played against espanyol it was a tuna win at home and i remember that game specifically because it was one of the first games or one of the few games i'd watched and i thought that's what zidane wants to get to that's the team that he wants to get to there's a lot of talk with about philosophy and identity with zidane and that was one of the few games where i saw what he wanted and it was something similar in this Alves game where you where you say that is the team that he has in mind and i can see what he's what he's trying to do so can he build on that now well
1: it certainly worked, didn't it? And that front three w- was very impressive. And the fullbacks I thought were, were pretty good. Fellow Mondi had a-, a probably a mixed game, but he looked very confident, pulling mm-hmm. off a lot of tricks, uh, getting into the box quite a few times. I was impressed with him. But um, Taylor, for me, this this game was built and and won in the midfield for for Real Madrid. Uh, you know, Casemiro looking very good as usual in the middle there and getting a pretty strong header for the first goal as well. And Tony Kroos, I've long held the the view that when Tony Kroos has a good game, Real Madrid have a good game. He got two assists here, doing lots of Tony Kroos things. And I think, was it him who made the third goal? I think he was sort of the present interception... And then that incredible worldy pass over the top. I think that was Tony Kroos, wasn't it? That was just wonderful stuff. But if we're going to talk about a Real Madrid midfield, it was it, this was Modric's game, wasn't it? This was this was this was why he got the Ballon d'Or. This kind of performance wasn't it? this was uh, that assist for the fourth goal was wonderful. There was a there was a moment in the first half where he put that um, that pass with the outside of his boot to set Mondi free as well.
2: Oh, he's quite yep. a player when he's on it, isn't he? He is. And and it's similar to what Graham was saying with like uh, Zidane and per- uh, Fontino Perez about how it's like every time it seems like maybe he's going to go, he's back. Like Luka Modric, I think, has signed for Inter Milan like six times at this point. <laughs> uh, and yet, still there. And then has these games where it's just like, oh, outside of the foot, 40 yard ball, like bending perfectly into the path of a runner, has no business like seeing that or like being able to spot that as being an opportunity and yet still pulls it off. I thought his distribution was excellent I thought his combination and his awareness with the other two midfielders uh, Casemiro and Cruz also a big part of that and I think this Madrid team seem very much built on a lot of the players just kind of knowing what the other ones are going to do they know how to play together they know when Casemiro is going to drop in between the two center backs versus when he's going to step out a little bit more they know when they can drift forward a little bit versus when Tony Cruz has to drop in and be a bit more defensive I just think the awareness and relationship is so strong and it bleeds into Kareem Benzema, for example. Like I think for the fourth goal, he just goes and stands on the left wing and stands with his hand in the air for like eight seconds. And then it's, I think Luka Modric spots him, gets the yep. ball, plays him in first time and they're away. And it's just that sort of like, like comfort, I think in knowing like someone's going to find me. I don't need to make another run. I don't need to adjust. Like Matthew Hoppe probably goes on a sprint to try to open up some space. Benzema knows what his midfielder is going to do I think knows if I hang here long enough someone's going to spot me and it's going to be on and that's exactly what happened. so I think that chemistry is so important but then also yes having three world-class midfielders probably not too shabby either
1: <laughs> it can't hurt it can't hurt and yeah. I did my notes about Martin Odegaard like poor Martin Odegaard you know he's how's he ever going to get in this team and then hey he's gone to Arsenal now <laughs> problem solved there you go
2: like Graham took us back to Liverpool a little bit ago I want to take us back to Man United for a moment because I had a conversation with a buddy of mine who I kind of get annoyed with the like is he world-class I never fully know what that means aside from a setting on FIFA but my argument with Marcus Rashford has always been like not quite because he you just you don't know for sure if he's going to finish in that one v one Robert Lewandowski and Kareem Benzema, do you ever have doubts that they're going to finish that 1v1 opportunity? Like as soon as he was driving at the defense, you just knew it was like like faint left, cut right, shoot, score. Like it's going to happen five seconds before it does. I struggle to think of other forwards who are that just like, you know, they're going to convert in front of goal as uh, those two I just mentioned.
3: Yeah, and and that's that's one of the the big things that Benzema has improved on since Ronaldo left. Really, was when Ronaldo left, it was a big question: is he going to to step up? And and one of the things was Benzema was at that point seen as, as relatively wasteful in front of goal, and and that's just something he has he has tightened up so much these past two seasons. Mm-hmm. As as you say, when he goes through, you you, you know he's going to score. It's not just when he goes through with the ball at his feet. When you know when there's a certain cross, yeah. it turns to be from the right side to kind of like not the back post, but but just. Maybe Maybe the left uh, corner of of the six yard box, and it's a header from there. You you know it's a goal, um, and and yeah, he's he, he's so good at that. Wasn't a
1: perfect game from Real Madrid. Very good game from Real Madrid, but not perfect. I'd say there was a couple of defensive moments I was unsure about. Uh, I think in the second half, there was a ball that sort of bounced in the box and uh, and an Alaves player was allow- allowed to get sort of a pretty hard volleyed shot off of it. They couldn't get the clean sheet, of course, with Newcastle legend uh, Joselu uh, getting getting a set piece uh, header as well. So th- they're, still, they're still not perfect here, but very, very, very encouraging from Real Madrid. Is it just simply that Zidane needs to not be on the bench anymore, they need to have some <laughs> some some, some vil- a villain on the bench instead, of doing Mr. Burns fingers? What well, I mean, it it seems like when when we say this, when Graham said this is um this is what Real Madrid do, they bounce back like this. Is it just sort of wildly inconsistent the way they go in these patterns?
3: Yeah, I mean, what what? Just going back to Zidane not being on the bench. One of my favourite things about COVID football has been seeing how teams have worked around communicating between. So uh, Zidane was was on the phone, just the you know the 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 more, the more kind of orthodox method. But there was a, a Celtic player when Neil Lennon was out isolating a, a couple of weeks ago. They, they he was on AirPods, and so players before they were coming on the pitch were putting in the AirPods to hear a message from. Uh, from wow. Neil Lennon, and the assistant manager was pressing play on a on a on a phone with like a pre recorded message, uh, which I thought was quite cool. But yeah, yeah Z- Zidane is quite similar to Solskjaer, um and that I feel like even when things are going badly for Zidane it doesn't feel like he has lost the dressing room as such. I know that old cliche, but it, it feels like the players are still playing for him. It's never down to um, players not wanting him to be there. It's similar with Solskjaer again, it, you never really get that sense. And so, I guess that means you you will get reactions like this, like dramatic reactions if they feel like, and I do feel like if Zidane had lost this game, there's a very good chance he might have been out of a job by, by, t- by today. He might have been Frank Lampard uh, today. But <laughs> Yeah, the di- the difference being that uh, even if Frank Lampard wins,
2: he still gets sacked. Like, like I think if it was the Abramovich in charge, maybe Zidane still gets the sack here.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, um, but uh, he well, I don't know who Real Madrid go for though because they want they they are yeah. really really keen on Nagelsmann, and um, I think they offered him the job before he went to Leipzig. I think. I've, I've I think they certainly offered him a job once before, and I can't quite recall the timeline.
2: Uh, the answer here is obvious, Graham. It's player manager Paul Pogba. Let's get it. Let's get it done.
3: <laughs> yeah, with uh, Mina Reola and, and the AirPods. Uh, oh God! <laughs> but yes, you do get these sort of reactions from, from oh, that Real Madrid.
2: made me. That physically hurt me, Graham. That physically hurt me.
1: Can I say, by the way, sharing AirPods does not sound very COVID-friendly? And <laughs> I know Neil Lennon has gotten into trouble with you know taking his players to Dubai and being very very uh, you know defensive about that. But there's got to be a better way, hasn't there? Yeah, it's the Mourinho route
2: of hide yourself in the laundry and then uh, be funneled into the stadium.
3: Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, my final note uh, for this weekend review is just that anytime someone says lost the dressing room, I think of the uh, the like one of my favorite soccer quotes coming from Ian Holloway. Do you all know the one I'm referencing?
3: Uh, maybe remind me.
2: It's the one where, I think it was Ian Holloway. They asked him if he'd lost the dressing room, and he responds, "No, it's around the corner to the left." Oh, yeah. I I don't know why I love that so much, but I do. <laughs> Classic Holloway. There you go.
1: <laughs> All right. I think that just about wraps up our weekend review then. Thank you very much, dear listener, for listening. Uh, Taylor, thank you very much for uh, very much participating as well.
2: <laughs> I mean, you're welcome. It wasn't good enough to win the Taylor Rockwell Weekend Review Award. That one goes to you. And Graham got se- Wow. I finished third in this one. <laughs> There's always next week. There's
1: always next week. Graham, a pleasure to have you on as always. Thank you, Ryan. I'm away to
3: uh, cleanse my ear pods.